Welcome back to the All Figured Out podcast. Today, we have Meredith McKenzie on the show to share her career story. And if there's one thing I've learned from coaching working parents and chatting with Meredith today, it's that it's never just a career story, it's a life story. Our conversation spans Meredith's drive as a high achiever, and she completely opens up about her fertility challenges and the current questions that she's asking herself as she finishes her maternity leave, juggles her doctorate degree, and decides what to do about her return to work and considerations for family planning. As you can tell, we cover a lot here. Meredith is a counselor and the founder of Parallel Wellness. Her team provides mental health therapy services to individuals, couples, and families throughout British Columbia. Meredith is also a PhD candidate at the University of British Columbia and a first-time mom to her gorgeous one-year-old. Meredith supports women in overcoming years of dieting, poor body image, and binge eating and emotional eating so they can reconnect with their body's true needs and find freedom from food and diet culture. For Meredith, figuring it all out has meant understanding herself more deeply, weighing her career, her health, and her family values, and learning to put herself first. I want to just give a quick trigger warning as topics such as disordered eating, infertility, and infant loss do come up in this episode. So please do what you need to do to take care of yourself and your mental health today and skip this episode if those topics just won't jive with you today. I also want to give a quick disclaimer that something happened with the audio in this episode. So new podcasts and semi-professional editor over here raising my hand saying that the audio does not sound great, but I had to still put this episode out because the conversation with Meredith is just so valuable. So I hope you enjoy and thanks for your patience with the Kind of fuzzy audio here. You're listening to the All Figured Out Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Barr. As a career coach for parents, a mom, an entrepreneur, and someone who spent 10 plus years in the corporate world, I still don't have it all figured out. And maybe you don't either. In this podcast, I'll share tools and strategies that I use with my clients. And in the many areas where I don't have things figured out, I'll be bringing you some amazing guest experts to help us fill in the gaps. So tune in each week as we explore how to make career and life decisions that truly work for you, your family, and your big goals. Let's make moves. Welcome, Meredith McKenzie, to the All Figured Out podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So for everyone to get to know you a bit more, give us a bit of a snapshot of, I know you have a very interesting career journey, and so I would love for you to share with us what was your career journey and how did it land you to where you are today? Yeah, I think like a lot of people who follow the academia route, there's many, many years and steps involved with that. So I actually started a lot of my journey in research. And the reason for that was, you know, you want to build up your resume so that you can be competitive for applying to grad school. So I spent quite a few years working in research. And um, a common thing to say is that research is me search. And I was definitely attracted to the area of disordered eating and women's body image and all things that impacted me and my, my social friend group at the time. And I just wanted to know more about it. So I did a lot of uh, work with different labs, um, which is kind of what you do in psychology. Uh, so I did research on women and their competitiveness with one another, with their bodies, how they engaged in disordered eating, and that then spurred my own interest for my master's degree. And I looked at uh, relationships between men and women and how at different stages of your relationship, you might have different feelings about your body and engage in disordered eating in different ways. 
And then I'm now doing my, my PhD at the University of British Columbia. So that's all kind of come from my research experience, but then that also led me to my clinical work, working with women. Um, so I've worked kind of all along the, the spectrum of eating disorders, as well as with different age groups. So I've worked with children and youth with eating disorders, as well as adults. Um, and finally, now I'm in my own private practice uh, at Parallel Wellness, where I work individually with women, as well as in groups. And I really do take it all back to my research experience and being like, okay, yeah, that was the starting point. That's what kind of fueled the fire and really helped me understand myself. And then also, I think it really helps me understand the clients that I work with. Oh my goodness. Well, firstly, I want to say thank you for the work that you do. I think it's unbelievable. It, I can only imagine how challenging it is, but perhaps rewarding. So thank you for that work because I think it's so needed. So important. Um, Thank also, you. I want to know when you went into academia, did you did you kind of have an idea of what route that would where that would take you? Um, I didn't. I didn't. Like, I I grew up in a very like small town. My parents did not go to university, so I didn't have that influence for myself. And I I totally went into university thinking I'm going to be a doctor. It's like you have five choices when you're a high achiever of what you can be like doctor, lawyer, dentist. And I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And I got there and it opened up my experience so much of all the different career paths that you can take. And I even think now further down the line, I have even more ideas of what I could have done, but getting there and taking that first psychology course and just realizing that there maybe was a solution for me to understand the people around me and understand myself better, that that shifted things into me wanting to do psychology wow that's so interesting and so then you went there the research route and it's almost like each it sounds like each phase that you went through more doors were unlocked and you understood more of what might be possible next yeah absolutely and I think so in psychology there's kind of a few streams that you can go into you can stay the more academia route or research can start melding into clinical practice. And so the type of research that I was most interested in was the clinical practice. So essentially researching how you work with people, how you do interventions, how you help people recover from different things. And so it goes really well together. And um, for a long time, I could really imagine myself both providing clinical practice and doing research. And who knows, maybe that's something that's in my future. But um, yeah, that was my, my dream originally. Oh my goodness. Good for you. And you have also recently become a parent. I have. Yeah. So what was the journey yeah. like for you to, you are such a high achiever from what I know of you and incredibly smart and super driven through your you. career. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so what was the journey like to becoming a parent? Yeah, I, I definitely identify as being a box ticker. There are things that I wanted in life and I was driven and I was going to get them and I could figure out the strategy to get there. And with academics and career, that was, that worked really well for me and served me really well. Um, but from the fertility, having a baby, starting a family side of things, it was the complete opposite. And I think for me, that really threw me for a loop because this was something I couldn't control. This was something I couldn't figure out. Didn't matter what I changed in my diet or my stress levels or, you know, what time of the month that I was trying to make a baby. It just wasn't working for us. Um, so we actually tried for two years without any kind of intervention. And, you know, then 
through all that too, trying to work on my PhD. We moved to Newfoundland, uh, Canada for my residency. And so lots of things were happening at the same time, but we were very focused on wanting to have a baby and it just wasn't working. And so we actually uh, connected with a fertility clinic in Vancouver and we were able to conceive our son. And so huge, huge, huge blessing and something that has shifted my life in ways that I never could have imagined. Um, but that process of going through fertility, especially with trying to balance my career when I'm almost like almost at the finish line of finishing my PhD and achieving that, that big tick box at the top of the hill. Um, but then really wanting this other side of my life as well. Wow. I'm sorry that you had to go through that that struggle and that journey. I'm so happy that you're on the other side of it with your gorgeous son. What did that feel like to be unable to progress that one part of you when your PhD and your career was progressing so well? It was incredibly frustrating and lonely. And I think that that's something that even still... I, I wish that could have been different for me and us, but it feels as though it's something that we don't talk about. Um, people see that you're doing really well and I, um, you know, people will give me lots of praise and congratulations of everything I'm doing career-wise, um, but not see that that hole was missing for me and something that I, I really desperately wanted. And um, now that I'm on the other side of it, I definitely can see how I compensated for that. I think that I felt um, really validated by my career, that I that was something that made me feel good about myself, something I did have control over. So I really threw myself into that versus, you know, being home. My husband is wonderful and I love the the relationship that we have and the family that we've created, the two of us. Um, but there was still always something that was missing and that we wanted. And not having that was, I think, almost too heavy of a feeling for me to, to really deal with on for so, so long. And people with fertility will explain to you too, like every month that you get your period and you menstruate, that's another kind of like in your face of the failure of what you wanted that isn't going to happen. Another, you know, dash dream, I would have almost like pseudo pregnancy symptoms and I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling nauseous. Maybe I'm pregnant. Totally wasn't pregnant. Um, so, and, and that's the difference with my fertility is that I just could not become pregnant. I had no issues with carrying my baby, but I just could not. And so I never knew what it was going to be like to be pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, just horribly, just devastating. It was horrible at that time. And I, I do think that it really impacted my mental health for quite a while. I can only imagine what, how did you survive that? Like what tools and resources were you able to lean on in order to get through that time? Um, being open with my husband and doing a lot of talking was really important because it does take a, a huge toll on a, a relationship and it impacted the way we related to one another and the expectations that we had. You know, there's only so many times that you can really enjoy the process of baby making when it becomes so robotic and mechanical and by a certain day. And so that was something we had to definitely talk about and just reaching out to other people. Um, as much as I said, I felt alone. It, I had to be careful with who I told because sometimes the, the responses weren't helpful. And so keeping it a little bit closer to my chest was helpful. I think sometimes um, 
and then doing things. So I developed, it was also during COVID, right? So developing a, a habit of going for a walk every night so that I wasn't sitting at home. I lived with my sister for a while, again, COVID and, um, you know, spending time with people that I cared about. And I, I wish, I wish I could say that there was something that I did that was magical and it helped me cope. Um, but really, I think I just survived and I had to really the, the professionals that I ended up working with, they were the people that helped the most. It's incredible. And people like yourself who help others who are going through these incredibly challenging times I think finally the world's waking up to the power of counseling and therapy and mm -hmm. I think you and I have talked about this before how finally you can talk about it at the dinner you know a dinner party and say oh I was talking to my therapist about this and it's not taboo and you touched on you know certain people that just didn't necessarily always have the best reactions or responses and I think we all have had those moments in our life breakups whatever it is what advice would you give to a friend or a loved one of somebody who is going through fertility challenges and how they could be a bit more supportive? Um, and this is totally going to be a counseling <laughs> way of supporting somebody, but I would definitely say just stay in that pain with them and just stay there. Like you don't have to find a solution. You don't have to give hope. You don't have to, you know, do anything to make anything better because there's no way that you can make it better. Um, it's an incredibly unfortunate situation for somebody to be in. And if you haven't experienced it yourself, you probably don't know what it's like. And even that person has never experienced anything like that before. And it's normal to just be struggling and to be having a hard time with it and to just be there with them in that pain. Um, you know, listen to what they're saying, have empathy for what they're saying and, if you do really feel like you need to help, you know, maybe it's let's walk and talk or let's, cause that's what really helped me just being able to talk it out a lot. Um, but just don't feel like you need to make them feel better because to be honest, you probably can't. That's such a good point. That's such a good point for life. What a great counseling response. I love that. And going to how much you've overcome, especially in the last couple of years, pandemic and all, what was a mindset sh mindset shift like when you did become pregnant and you did become a parent? And then it's like this huge dream of yours has been fulfilled. And then you're kind of looking back on this career that you created. And I imagine, was there a bit of a pull or what was that mindset shift like for you? Yeah, I, before I, obviously I had very much invested into my career and my education. And before I became pregnant, I imagined myself being that person that you would take my maternity leave and then return to work and that I would be perfectly content with doing both at the same time. I, I don't know what, how I imagined that I would actually physically do that, but um, that I would have that separation or that my identity would just kind of stay the same. But now I had an added person to my family and it has changed so much um, for one just even how I relate to myself and my body has changed a lot because I don't think I was fully aware of it, but that I was really at war with my body before getting pregnant because I was so disappointed that things weren't working the way I wanted them to. And just kind of repairing that relationship throughout my pregnancy and being able to say like, we did this together, you're growing a human, way to go. Um, completely fascinated with what my body was capable of doing. Um, and now, and I... I struggle to like put words to it because I don't want it to sound as though, you know, 
women need to have children or anything like that. But for me personally, my son filled a hole in such a way that I did not know existed. And he is so fulfilling. And just the, the joy that I get with spending time with him every day, I want to be there. And it's shifted my priorities in a way that's really given me a lot of perspective on what motherhood and parenthood is like in that I would have very um, probably not in the most compassionate way compared myself to other parents that I worked with in the past and would have thought, oh, well, they're not as career driven or they're not as serious um, and thought less of them almost. And I, I really regret that I had those thoughts and feelings because uh, I just didn't understand what it was. And I used to think like, oh, your priorities shift. So now parenting is more important and the work is less important. And that's actually not how it is. Instead, it's made me think my work is very important and my family is very important. And in order for me to have both of those things, my work probably has to shift in a way. Um, and I have to change to be able to do both of those things. Um, both of those things are both things I still want, but I, my becoming a parent and becoming a mom has just really made me think, wow, like I was so far down the, the career path that uh, things are just going to be different. I, I just think that the the box ticking too, I, I realized like, what was the end to that? Like, what was the purpose of that? What was the outcome that I was going to get other than the golden carrot, the elusive golden carrot that I was chasing, chasing, chasing and never receiving? Um, I'm not, I'm not looking for any carrots. Like I'm growing my own garden now. Oh man, so well said. I'm just thinking you also gave me that visual. Of, like, what is that final box? Like, what is the very last box that we're supposed to be checking? Like, does anybody actually have that in their mind? Yeah. You know, it's such a, it's such a good reminder. Do you think that, are you feeling like, I know that, you know, for our audience, just to have a bit more insight, you are going to be uh, coming out of your mat leave. With, is it in the next couple of months? You're still technically I'm, I'm on mat leave. 18-month mat leave, yeah. And, you know, what's your mindset like right now in terms of, do you feel like being a parent is holding you back in any way? Yeah. And again, this is like where I, and maybe this, like, this is why I'm glad I'm here because I'm still figuring it out and trying to uh, figure out what will be best for, for me. And I, that's again, a huge mindset change of what is good for me, because in the past, I think I've very much dedicated myself to my employer and my role and wanting to do a good job, looking for probably some praise and adulations from them. Um, and now it's very much come back to, okay, but what's going to work for me? And, and that's the part I'm still figuring out what, what will long-term be the best for me and my family. Um, things that I do know is that I was working a full-time career as a therapist uh, for the government. And I was also creating my practice, Parallel Wellness. And I was also doing my PhD. And that's, there's not that many hours in the day. And then where do you fit in family time? And, you know, time for myself as well, which there wasn't any time for. So really having to reevaluate, like, what are the, the values that I want to honor going forward? And what are the things that maybe need to shift and change? Because working that many hours is not going to be something that I'll be able to sustain. And I almost want to get like the best bang for my buck and not meaning in a financial way, but in terms of those outcomes, like what are going, if I just had to pick a five things, like what are those five things and how am I going to get them in the least amount of time, I guess, 
Yes. What a good way to put it. I've heard on a previous podcast that's no longer running that I used to love called Straight and Curly. One of their episodes was about the four, I think it was the four or five burners theory and how it would be like if you had a propane tank, you know, sitting underneath your desk and you turned it on and then there's only so many burners that you have running before the tank ran, ran out. It's almost like, which burners are you going to turn up and which ones can you put on simmer or just turn off for a bit? You can always come back to them. So it sounds like mm-hmm. you're kind of in that phase of just deciding what you have so many options and you have so much available to you. It's almost a, a good and probably hard problem to have where you're trying to decide which ones do you turn on. Yeah. And I think too, like it's because I'm at this like very pressured point of I need to make a decision of what's going to work. It's given me a bit more bravery to maybe do some things that have scared me in the past you know, to stay the straight and narrow and continue to box check and be the overachiever, that was simple. You know, you just follow the plan, you just follow the map, it's going to work out. And I can imagine that I would have a very fulfilling career and a happy life and be financially stable and all the good things because box checking gets you that. But now that I'm realizing that I want something else for myself, it's making me a little bit brave of like, what, what else could I do if I didn't follow that plan? And I wasn't so rigid about the financial stability. Um, what else could I be doing? And I guess the, the part that I'm figuring out is, is like a structured nine to five, five days a week kind of work, something that I want to commit to long term. And that's such a hard thing to even like verbalize, because that's really scary. But I I feel like I'm starting to get brave about what could life look like if I wasn't employed and I took my own path and did something just completely on my own. Good for you. I'm so excited to see what you choose. And I love the word bravery that you chose for that and just stepping into a new season. Well, because there's a lot to lose. And I think like that's where people like weigh out their options. There's pensions and uh, consistent pay and colleagues that you can rely on. And on the other side, it's maybe you're being a little bit more inconsistent with your pay or there's the chance that it could be, or is there also the chance that it could work out really well financially. But I feel like the fulfillment that I get from creating things on my own is something that's very attractive to me right now. And the possibility that I could make my own schedule to spend more time with my son. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're like, yeah, here's what there is to lose, but you also always have to then ask what is there to gain? Like if I say no to this, what am I saying yes to? Which is Mm -hmm. really interesting. I'd love to know about the conversations without divulging too many personal intimate details, but what are the conversations like that you're having with your husband about this? Because we know that oftentimes we're in dual income households and it's not just a, a one person decision. It's not just the mother's decision to pivot or finagle her career to make things work. How is that going? And how are those conversations going with your husband? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm totally going to get personal then. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, when we I can imagine like the first couple of dates that we went on, I essentially said to him, like, I'm building an empire. I, I've got plans. <laughs> I've you. got things that are happening. Um, and I laid it all out. And I think that was also something just in early dating. I was pretty scared to do because I was just, you know, vulnerable today and I felt obviously that was a a good sign that we were a good match for one another that he saw that as a positive and was like oh yeah he'll even joke about it now of like oh Meredith you're building an empire um 
And I don't even know if I really knew what that meant at that time, but like I, I saw a vision of something that I was building and I wanted somebody to build that with me. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that he is also of that vision. He is happy in his work and we work very different careers. Um, but he's very, very supportive. And, uh, yeah, we talk about finances and I, I almost just think that he sees that I'm confident that financially it would work out. And that's probably the the biggest important piece for him. Um, cause there's also all that to weigh out of, you know, how much money do you spend on daycare? And there's so many things to be balancing. So we're, we're still, I think in the, the beginning stages of that, cause we do need to lay everything out because it would be a lot of moving pieces to make sure that they fit. But me being satisfied, I'm very, very fortunate that he values that as well. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Your happiness, not just Meredith, you need to be making X amount and mm-hmm. screw whatever happiness is that's up there. Yeah. And, and I guess I can say too, like the other piece that's a complete variable at this point, like we don't even know what will happen is that what do we do with the next steps of wanting to grow our family? Are we going to experience additional fertility challenges? Is this going to take a couple of years for us to try for another baby? Um, or is it something that's going to happen quickly? And the the structure of, you know, being on maternity leave and going back, while I feel very lucky that I live in Canada and I have that opportunity to be able to receive those benefits um, from the government, it's, um, it's still something that it feels a little bit restrictive in some ways, right? That you, you do need to return and you do owe a certain amount of time back. Uh, before you're even qualified for taking another leave. And so also making some plans in that way of what would a maternity leave look like or would I even be eligible for one? Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And what you're talking about for anyone listening is the when you have a top up from your government organization that you work for or company, a lot of companies are now finally offering things like top ups. Yeah, there often is a, a period of time that you have to stay with the company uh, or organization in order to keep the money that you had received as top up during your maternity leave. And then the point that you're making as well is the having to kind of put in a bit more time. Is that what, is that kind of how it works? So it's like putting in more time before you're eligible for another mat leave. Yeah. So I haven't, to be honest, looked into the exact number of hours. I think they recently changed it again because they had a a shortened period during the pandemic Mm. and they just recently increased it again. Um, So I don't know what the current number of hours is that you're required to work before you're eligible for like the Canadian government, just one everybody gets for mat leave. Um, But also the top up is requiring a return of service. So the amount of time that you take off is the amount of time you owe back to the company. Okay. Can I just say my reaction to that? I'm going to be bold. It's (laughs) such BS that you have to put in a certain number of hours when you come back that you have to commit to something that you have no idea you can commit to before you have a child, before you bring this little human into the world and change your life forever. And then that when you come back, you have to put in so many hours before you can, you're allowed to get pregnant again. That is crazy. It is really hard to like reconcile all that because on one hand, all I can say is that I feel so fortunate to be living in Canada to even have that option because I've, you know, communicated and interacted with so many women from other countries in the United States where, you know, they're expected to go back to work after two weeks of birth. 
and I can't even imagine that like I was barely even together by that time um (laughs) so on one hand I'm like oh I'm so grateful that I live somewhere that values women and our mental health and our physical health and the family bonding that happens in the first year of life so wonderful and at the same time how does it not keep you kind of stuck in the decisions that you can make Absolutely. And I imagine there's a lot of people out there, and maybe this is a huge factor for your family as well, who feel completely tied to going back to a job that they recognize is no longer right for themselves, their family, and financially, they can't pay back that money. So they're stuck in it and say, you take 18 months, you're stuck in it for another 18 months. Like that's, that's, that's incredible. But I, I love that you said, it's, there are two sides to it. One side is that we're incredibly fortunate to have opportunities like that here. It's almost like giving a gift, but like, like you're giving a cookie, but you're like, but I'm going to hold on to half of it. Like you can have half the cookie. I'm going to show you the full cookie. I'm going to let you eat half of the cookie, but I'm going to hold on to the other half. It's like, well, that's kind of a weird way of giving a gift, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, hmm. I, I'll say it, but I don't say know it. if I really want to say it. It's not me saying it. It's not me saying it. I've heard the term golden handcuffs used yes. before. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and it's being talked about more, which I think it's, everyone's always felt it. Um, Golden handcuffs can also be, and again, for anyone listening, golden handcuffs are that feeling of organizational or corporate hold on you. Um, Things like benefits, stability, paycheck, top ups that you have to pay back, stocks, pensions, investments within the company, like, you know, having to wait for your stocks to invest if you're with an public company like there's so many of these pieces which again are benefits and, and it's amazing those are good problems to have but they do especially for parents when you're trying to <laughs> figure it all out make things really really challenging and difficult makes me it's so remarkable to me that you know the I'm, I'm actually looking at him because I have the my second screen here with photos of him revolving through it but that that little person is worth so much to me that I'm willing to clearly go through discomfort financially to even consider possibly not returning or what would life look like if we had to take a pay cut or pay back a top up or, you know, even considering all those things, I just think it's, I don't know, it speaks a lot to how powerful parenthood can be. Would you say that that boldness that you were talking about before, that bravery, has it increased because of him? I think it has in like twofold, like one, just even from the box checker mentality of like, well, what else is there now? You know, I've got the happy home. I have the baby. I have the job. Like I almost have my degree. Like what else is there that now it's kind of given me a a foundation of being like, well, let's just try something else. Um, But then also it's made me want to it's going to sound so incredibly corny, but like, I want to be the best version of me. I want to be the part of me that lives a full life and can show that to him. I want him to be brave in his own life and make choices for himself that aren't based in fear or other people's expectations or what he thinks he should do. And I want to be a role model in that way. So I know that sounds corny, but just to be able to, I don't want him to ever look back and say, oh, well, my mom did this. Like, I think a lot of us can say that about um, our parents that, oh, I can see where they regretted things. And I just don't want to regret anything. So tell me more about what we can expect from you in the future coming up. 
Uh, yeah, so my group program is called One Body to Love, and it's for women who have, you know, struggled with chronic dieting and have come to the realization that the experience of restricting themselves and then most likely overeating, emotionally eating, and just really developing a, a negative relationship with their body and food is just not working for them anymore. And they're looking for an opportunity to reconnect with their bodies, to reconnect with how they relate to food and have a more positive relationship. Um, it's a personal experience that I've gone through. And it's something that I've seen to, to be such a valuable and life-changing process for so many of the clients that I've worked with individually that I've wanted to bring that to women as a group. Um, I've done also lots of group work for women in the past. And so just seeing the magic that can happen when women come together and they speak about things in such a vulnerable way that, you know, most of the time we don't get the opportunity to speak to one another, um, that just human to human connection. So I will be launching um, or, you know, restarting, having a new start date in February, February was it 7th or 8th, it's a Wednesday. Um, so that's coming up for me. And that's really my main focus right now. And I think that's what's giving me so much passion and excitement of to have this opportunity to connect with women on such a deep level and to see the, the change that happens for them and just building a better relationship with themselves. That's incredible. Good for you. And congrats on the the launch and now relaunch and letting more people uh, into the really intimate program that I know you've created. And if we could kind of go on a tangent there, what experience do you have or what do you know about parents and specifically mothers who have gone through a pregnancy and who have become a different person and gone through big body changes and things like that? Like what have you noticed in, in that community? Yeah, I think uh just even like women in general, there's so much pressure on us to change our bodies or to refit into a body that we had pre-pregnancy there. It's kind of ironic and horrible at the same time that while you're pregnant, you get so much praise and, you know, excitement and validation for this beautiful growing belly that you have. And um, the changes that are happening to your body, everybody oozes and awes over it. And then almost instantaneously, the expectation is that you're going to start at least having the intention to change your body and shrink again. And I think if you don't have even the intention, it's really looked down upon. Um, I know of so many women who feel just, you know, they're, they're already struggling emotionally. They've got this brand new role of being a parent. And trying to work on new identity in that realm, having all these emotions that are going on up all night, um, you know, you've got spit up all over you. And then to imagine, well, now I have to go to the gym and watch what I'm eating. And it's important to know, too, like if you are, you know, breastfeeding or if you're, you know, feeding with your own milk, that that actually requires you to nourish your body in a way that uh, if you're, you know, restricting your food or over-exercising in any way that that can really impact things and your body's still in a recovery state for quite a while. So pushing yourself beyond what your body is really capable of at that point is, can be really dangerous. Um, and I think it's just a lot of expectation on women. So it, it really does impact them when you're already going through so much. That's a really great way of putting it. I, I've never actually, I mean, I've, I went through it. We went through these experiences in similar times. I have an 18 month old and I never thought about it that way where you're, yeah, people are like, can I touch your belly? And they're rubbing you like you're a genie. And 
<laughs> or the lamp. Um, and they're like, has your belly button popped yet? Like yeah. they, they think things are so cute. Your body is so cute when you're pregnant. Oh, you're so cute. It's so beautiful. And then also nobody tells you that like, you've got that bump for a bit after you give birth. Like that thing doesn't just go away. You've got a uterus that's the size of a watermelon. It doesn't just shrink mm-hmm. overnight. And you're healing. And you you have extra padding probably, which is healthy and normal and natural and is helpful in your post-pregnancy from my experience. And yeah, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to be like, oh yes, I'm finally cleared for exercise. Like I think I remember getting cleared at a C-section. I remember getting cleared for exercise. And I was almost like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't feel ready for that. I don't feel like this is safe. Not because my body felt physically you know, still in pain from the surgery, but I was like, you trust me to like go and do something at like a gym or like a spinning class? Are you kidding me? No way. I don't think it was like for a couple more months that I was even ready for that mentally, that side of it. Imagine your program would be really incredible for for new parents as well or new moms. Mm -hmm. And I think too, like the, this is something that we do talk in the program, but you know, there's things that happen biologically to your body, like you mentioned about pregnancy and the way your body changes and you know for some reason our society really values that one specific visual um, or aesthetic and you know what's so wrong like when you mentioned the padding it's like when I look at my stomach I, I see that's the stomach that grew my baby like that's the stomach that stretched and the belly button didn't pop it almost popped but the 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 skin that stretched and made room for him so that he could grow and why is that vilified? Why is that something that someone would look at and say, oh, she still has the pouch when that pouch is amazing. That pouch almost never happened. That pouch was something I begged for mm. and wanted so desperately. Yes. Like I, that, that pouch is awesome. I love that pouch. Yes. Yes. The pouch. Yes to the pouch. Bring back the pouch. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. I, I hear you in that. It's Oh my goodness. There's so much to it. We could talk, we could have a whole other episode. We will, we will have you back and we'll have a whole other episode on that side of things. And one more question I had that I was actually, I've actually just kind of been thinking about recently and working with some parents who are um, recently postpartum or pregnant currently. Um, I've been noticing a trend and just because I'm not a counselor psychologist and I do not go into that realm as a coach. Uh, I always stay in my own lane, but you know, talking with people about the things or the baggage or their shadow sides that people have before pregnancy, it's almost like you think that all that's not going to surface or is, is going to be gone and you'll have different problems in pregnancy or different issues that might pop up. When then lo and behold, you have anxious tendencies before pregnancy, those can kind of come with a vengeance like in pregnancy. Is that something that you also notice? And why is that narrative not talked about? I can really, like, I don't work specifically with women in pregnancy. Like there are therapists that work with, you know, um, prenatal and postnatal mental health. So I wouldn't say that that's my specialty at all, but I can say from my own personal experience. um, And it was something that I'm grateful that I had the training that I have, that I was able to reflect for myself and that my experience definitely was that those things continue. And it surprised me that almost, and I would call it trauma of infertility, impacted me throughout my pregnancy in a very deep way. And that I had to really come to understand that. Um, you know, at the time when I was struggling with infertility, I thought it's just this mechanical, you know, 
you make a baby through X and Y and this goes together and it's all going to be worked out. And these difficult feelings I'm having are just the normal response to it not working. But I didn't give it a lot of space um, or even time to really think about it. And it wasn't until I was pregnant and in my trying to think, I think it was like eight weeks or nine weeks, I started having some bleeding. Um, So I guess I should probably say trigger warning for anybody who has experienced um, infant loss or um, pregnancy loss that I will kind of just talk a little bit about that. But I, I was terrified that I was going to lose my baby. And uh, luckily, I did not. And then later on in the pregnancy, we also found out that we had some very concerning um, anatomy results that resulted in us having to do some very extensive genetic testing and be followed by maternal fetal medicine for quite a number of months. Again, very luckily, nothing actually came of it. Um, But at the time, we were very worried about what that meant for the health of our baby and what life might look like for him and for us. And all of those anxieties and all of that pre-fertility, infertility trauma came back. And I was constantly anxious. Every little sign told me that I was going to lose my baby. I wasn't going to be a mother. And for me, it really took time to realize that it almost felt like I was always waiting for that other shoe to drop. That in reality, not reality, in my reality, I believed I didn't deserve to be a mother. That that's why all this was happening. That I was never actually going to be a mom. That uh, I didn't deserve it. And something was going to happen to make things go wrong. And it was almost as soon as I realized that I was like, oh, that's not true. Like I 100% deserve to be a mother or, you know, the world doesn't work that magically. So no one deserves or doesn't deserve or whatever. And it really freed me of that anxiety that I was having, but it took me noticing that to make sense of it for myself. Um, But I definitely struggled throughout my entire pregnancy with believing that or struggling to realize that there was a hundred percent a baby inside of me. It was almost like this mental disconnect that I had to do in order to survive it because I was so terrified that things weren't going to work out. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think this is, this is something, these are the things that aren't talked about. And these are the things that I can imagine are just really hard to talk about as well. But I imagine there's so many people who can relate with that, who perhaps had similar experiences. So thank you for sharing that and what a hard thing to do when you're growing a human to try to confront feelings and emotions like that and then have to then use that you have you are truly actually a scientist as well and have to come out and step back for a second and say okay what is reality what is my reality um that's that's just a testament to your incredible strength as well so Meredith I want to ask you I don't even know what your answer would be to this because I don't even know if you have anything left to figure out, but what are you still figuring out? I know we've touched on little bits and bobs here and there. I feel like I still need to figure out what is going to fulfill me or, you know, fill my days with joy and, you know, contentment and satisfaction and allow myself to be okay that the path might be changing and what that would look like. And then figuring out, you know, what do we do in the next five years? Like, but as soon as I say anything about a five-year plan, I get really like tick boxy. So I try to hold back on that. But, you know, when, when is the time that we try for another child? When do we make decisions about our finances and career? All the, all the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> all the boxes that you're trying to 
pack away in the garage for a bit. Yeah. This time next year, you're going to have a doctor in front of your name. Are we going to have to call you Dr. McKenzie? Uh, yes. And my husband has already agreed that, uh, well, 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 hopefully this time next year, you know, it's all, it's all down the line and getting things done. Um, but my husband's already said that he's totally cool with being doctor and Mr. And having my name go first. So I'm excited for that. I know we're talking about throwing the check boxes out the window, but Hey, that's a pretty, that's a pretty badass checkbox to uh, to check on. I imagine there's a lot of people here who are going to want to connect with you, reach out, learn more from you, learn more about your program, the One Body to Love program that is launching February 8th. So where can everyone connect from you and learn more from you? Yeah, I am most often on Instagram. And so my Instagram is at Parallel Wellness. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel with the same name. So Meredith McKenzie Parallel Wellness, uh, where I mostly talk about disordered eating, binge eating, overeating, intuitive eating, um, all those things. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, those would be the two places that I would suggest finding me. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you again for your vulnerability and your openness to just share your experience, both as a professional in this space, but also as a parent who is going through it right now. So thank you so much again. Thank you for listening. You can access all resources mentioned in this episode via my website, andreabar.com slash podcast. And let's chat on Instagram. I'm at andreabarcoaching and I reply to every DM I get. If you love this episode, don't forget to quickly hit that button on your podcast app to give me a five-star rating and drop in a review. It would truly mean the world. And if you're like me and love to share things that you love, send this episode to a friend who you think would appreciate this topic. Thanks again for listening and I'll chat with you next week.